This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. Methane is the second largest contributor to global warming after CO2 and reducing methane emissions is crucial due to its significant impact on short-term global warming. So recognising its importance, however, is often hindered by unclear information and the use of quote-unquote CO2 equivalents. However, methane emission reductions are considered a readily achievable and cost-effective solution, making them a low-hanging fruit in the quest for overall emission reduction even as plans for more challenging reductions are developed. So back in 2022, civil society organisation Chera formed a partnership with the University of Malaya, the University of Nottingham, Malaysia and the Environmental Defence Fund or the EDF to promote transparency, public engagement and progress on methane emissions reductions in Malaysia. In their research project, they basically wanted to assess the status of and the prospects for action on methane emissions in Malaysia. They've recently released their findings and I'm going to find out more from Dr. Helena Vaki. She's an Associate Professor of Environmental Politics and Governance at the University of Malaya and Dr. Matthew Ashfold, an atmospheric scientist and an associate professor from the University of Nottingham, Malaysia. They were both working on this project. They're here to shed more light on it. Welcome both of you. How are you today? Hello. Yeah, doing well. Thanks. Lovely to have you guys back on just show. Um, um, and so, yeah, Helena, you know, we, we caught up, I think, gosh, about talking about this, right, uh, when the project was kind of launching uh, a year ago. Uh, and you had, of course, the folks from the Environmental uh, Defence Fund uh, joining us as well. Uh, we were talking about methane reductions. You want to just remind us about that project? Yeah, so uh, we've been working on this for about a year now, and basically we wanted to understand uh, how Malaysia is progressing on methane emissions reduction since we signed the GMP, the Global Methane Pledge. So that was uh, our year, basically, and today we are very happy to uh, sort of be able to report that we've been able to to develop some recommendations for the government. And this is what our policy brief that we recently launched uh, is all about. So happy to talk about this uh, today. Okay, all right. But I think you know, just for um, and we will talk. We will talk about you know the the findings and the recommendations uh, a little bit after this. But I think maybe we just, as usual, start with a bit of a one hundred and one. Uh, Matt, maybe I can direct this to you. Uh, what are some of the natural sources of methane emissions? You know, how do they contribute to the overall methane concentration in the atmosphere? Yes, certainly. So it, maybe it's helpful to start with uh, what what methane actually is a methane molecule. So it's a uh, a carbon atom which is connected to four hydrogen atoms, CH4. Um, and so why would that kind of molecule be produced naturally? Um, so it's related to the, the breakdown of organic carbon-containing material in the natural carbon cycle. Um, often if there's oxygen around, uh, organic matter will break down to form carbon dioxide. When there's a lack of oxygen or there's anaerobic conditions, then methane can be formed instead. And so we get natural methane emissions in, from these kind of uh, environments with uh, uh, anaerobic conditions. Uh, and especially wetlands are the main source of natural methane emissions. So these are wetlands are land which is inundated with water um, or highly waterlogged. This would include in Southeast Asia the, the peatlands in undisturbed states. Um, and so the worldwide wetlands are the biggest natural source of, of methane. Uh, there are some other smaller natural sources, uh, so inland water bodies, some geological formations also kind of leak methane slowly into the atmosphere. Um, and overall, if we think about the, the total methane emissions going into the atmosphere today, we think about 40% of those emissions are from these natural sources. 
and that leaves the remaining 60% we think coming from human activities. Okay, all right. And um, can you also explain the global warming potential of methane and its uh, and its significance? You know, we always talk about this in the context of climate change, right? Could you explain that for us? Yeah, absolutely. So methane is one of the uh, greenhouse gases. So carbon dioxide would be another one. And of course, there are many other greenhouse gases. And so the, the important feature of these gases, which are present in our atmosphere, is that they can absorb the uh, energy that Earth is trying to send towards space, radiating heat towards space. Um, and so if we increase the amount of these gases in the atmosphere, then uh, that strengthens what we call the greenhouse effect, helps um, energy to be retained near Earth's surface. Um, and, but the different greenhouse gases have got different warming potencies. So, uh, for example, methane is a, a relatively potent uh, warming gas um, when we compare it, for example, to carbon dioxide. Um, and so, yeah, different molecules of different gases um, have different potencies. Um, yeah, one molecule of methane will give us more warming than one molecule of CO2. Mm. Um, one of the uh, important features of these gases is also the, the lifetime. So how long do they last in the atmosphere? Uh, so methane has a, a lifetime of about 10 years whereas carbon dioxide will stay in the atmosphere for much longer. And so while per molecule uh, methane is relatively potent, the warming effect from methane lasts for a shorter amount of time okay. than, than CO2. Um, and so like you said in your introduction, Juliet, if we think about the, the total global warming we have today, um, and for that we need to think about how potent is the molecule and also how many molecules are there overall, what's the total abundance of all these different gases, um, Methane is, is contributing about a, a quarter of the global warming we're experiencing today. And that's the second biggest contribution after carbon dioxide. And so, yeah, when we're thinking about tackling uh, global warming, we want to be thinking about reducing CO2 emissions and methane emissions. Okay, all right. And um, Helena, can I ask you this? Because, um, you know, Matt mentioned just now the natural uh, causes, right, of um, uh, methane uh, emissions. What are some of the primary human activities responsible for the release of methane into the atmosphere? And how do these activities actually impact the environment? So that's about 60%, right, worth of uh, emissions there? Yeah, so that 60% is uh, from human activity. The top three sectors, uh, they would be agriculture. So these are things from like livestock, manure, rice, um, energy, uh, which will be mainly oil and gas, uh, and as well as waste. So this can be like landfills and uh, domestic and industrial wastewater. So this is generally uh, worldwide um, the, the, the most highest contributors, these three sectors. And in terms of its effects, so Matt has detailed about the effects on climate, uh, but there are also some really interesting and really strong health effects uh, that are related to methane. So methane isn't exactly um, uh, dangerous for human health. Uh, but it does contribute to, to it in different ways. So, for example, the methane molecule itself, it, it contributes to the forming of something called tropospheric ozone. And this is actually an air pollutant. And this does cause um, a lot of premature deaths worldwide. So uh, the presence of methane, more presence of methane does contribute to this, uh, especially in the long run. And, um, you know, methane is also emitted alongside a lot of other health damaging air pollutants as well. So like Matt talked about wetlands. So when you have fires in the wetlands, you would also be emitted together with particulate matter. And this will, you know, go into the lungs and cause all kinds of uh, health problems as well. 
Okay. And could you give us uh, an idea of Malaysia's uh, current methane emissions? How, how are we doing? Yeah, so uh, for Malaysia, we have been giving, uh, well, figures, reports uh, to the UNFCCC. So, for example, uh, our latest biennial update report in 2019, um, they also mentioned these three sectors as the biggest contributors. Uh, but for Malaysia, oil and gas is actually reported as the biggest, uh, about 36% followed by palm oil because of the wastewater produced in our palm oil uh, mills and mm -hmm. the processes, about 29%. Um, and then we have our landfills, uh, our waste uh, in the landfills. So this is um, what has been reported, and that is the methodology that has been used by the government. But uh, we have discovered in our research, so we compared Malaysia's reported estimates with other data sets, and uh, we found that there were actually some issues with this. There were lots of variations due to things like methodology differences, emission factors, differences in reporting boundaries, and many issues uh, that makes it a bit difficult for us to really know for certain uh, what is Malaysia's actual uh, emission. So we feel that this is an area that we can really work on further. Okay, and I think we're going to discuss a bit more about that, right? That's something that came up in your research as well. And, and speaking of research, uh, when so when I was trying to read up about this as well, so I came across this, uh, something to do with Earth's radiative balance and the climate system, all very Greek to me, right? This this radio person here. But could you, I, I was wondering if you could explain that and also if you could describe the short-term and long-term effects of methane on the Earth's radiative balance and climate system. Matt, you want to take that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you're right, Earth's radiative balance this is kind of a quite a technical sounding thing really we're talking about the the flows of energy that come into the earth and that are leaving the earth uh, and are those flows in balance so i think what we get the energy coming in this is coming from the sun okay so this is light energy uh, and the earth is also kind of um, radiating heat energy towards space uh, and so when the incoming flow of energy and the outgoing flow of energy are in balance, uh, then we have a radiative balance. The word radiative comes because the light and the heat are forms of electromagnetic radiation. Okay, so that's so we have a, uh, a balance of incoming and outgoing flows of radiative energy. Okay. Um, if something happens to change those flows of energy, then we can have a, a disruption to the energy balance. And that is basically the mechanism of climate change. And so one of the things that could happen and indeed has happened is if we increase the quantity of greenhouse gases like methane or carbon dioxide, that makes it a bit harder for the outgoing heat energy to actually leave the earth. Energy can accumulate near the surface and energy accumulating gives us a rise in temperature. Okay, so that, that's basically the mechanism of climate change. That is what is happening now. Um, you also asked about different timescales. Yeah, sure. Uh, and so what, maybe one of the interesting things I could, I could mention here is the difference between carbon dioxide and methane. So these are both important greenhouse gases. They're both contributing to climate change, but the timescales over which they are important are very different. So for, for carbon dioxide, because once we put it into the atmosphere, uh, it will stay there for a very long time, hundreds or thousands of years, these are kind of timescales that are basically permanent for our decision making. Um, once that CO2 is in the atmosphere, it will stay there. Um, even if we stop CO2 emissions completely, so this is linked to something like net zero CO2, even if we stop CO2 emissions completely, um, all that will happen is that the CO2 concentration stabilizes 
and the warming stops, but we, we've still got whatever warming we've accumulated. Okay, so it's a permanent warming effect. For methane, it's very different because methane has a much shorter lifetime, only about 10 years before it breaks down. Um, if we can do something to reduce methane emissions, then very quickly the amount of methane in the atmosphere will fall and the warming effect from methane will also correspondingly fall. And so that means if we can cut methane emissions, in, in effect, we're, we're adding a cooling effect. And so this is really important. It means that uh, if we think about what's really happening where we have CO2 and methane together, the cuts in methane emissions that um, we believe would be really important, they can slow down the rate at which we're experiencing warming. And if we can get to net zero CO2, we'll, um, we'll have a lower peak in the amount of warming. And so that's relevant when we think about, the, for example, the uh, two degrees Celsius target in the Paris Agreement. Cutting methane gives us a really much better chance of, of staying below that amount of warming. Okay, all right. I just need to stop for a quick break, but when we come back, we do want to discuss more of this. I'm speaking today to Dr. Heli Navaki. She's an Associate Professor of Environmental Politics and Governance at the University of Malaya, and Dr. Matthew Ashfold. He's an atmospheric scientist and Associate Professor from the University of Nottingham, Malaysia. They were both working on a methane project. Uh, so this happened back in 2022 when civil society organisation Chira formed a partnership with UM and the University of Nottingham together with the Environmental Defence Fund. And this was to promote transparency, public engagement and progress on methane emissions reduction in Malaysia. And that project has just concluded. They are going to share some of their findings and recommendations after this quick break. So keep it right here on Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. On the line with me today, Dr. Matthew Ashfold, an atmospheric scientist and an associate professor from the University of Nottingham, Malaysia, and Dr. Helena Vaki, an associate professor of environmental politics and governance at University of Malaya. They were both involved. Uh, they are both with CHIRA, uh, which is a civil society organization. And CHIRA formed a partnership with the University of Malaya, the University of Nottingham, Malaysia, and the Environmental Defense Fund to promote transparency, public engagement, and progress on methane emissions reductions in Malaysia. So that project has recently concluded uh, and uh, they just released their policy brief uh, not too long ago. So we're finding out more about that. But of course, we are doing now a bit of a 101 on methane and methane emissions and how, you know, it's a low hanging fruit, right, in terms of our uh, reductions. So before the break, Matt, you were telling us uh, about, well, uh, radiative balance at the climate system and, and those sorts of things. Now, can I ask you um, about trends, right? So have there been any trends or what trends have been observed in methane concentrations in the atmosphere and what factors contribute to the increase in methane emissions? Yes, certainly. So the, the methane concentration in the atmosphere, so how do we know what that is? So scientists have been able to measure methane in the atmosphere directly uh, for several decades now. Um, and if we're interested in longer term trends, science, scientists have also got ways of um, investigating methane much further back into the past. So one example would be uh, analyzing uh, gas bubbles trapped in glaciers and ice cores, which kind of preserve what the atmosphere was like when the ice was formed thousands of years ago. Uh, and so piecing together these different bits of evidence, we, we can get a sense of the trends in methane concentration over time. Uh, and the, the unit that is usually used to express how much methane we've got is parts per billion, PPB. So this just tells us for every one billion air molecules, how many of them are methane. Um, and so 
We talked earlier about the, the natural sources of methane emissions. Uh, and just based on those, uh, this was all we had up to about the year 1800. Mm -hmm. So scientists know there was about 700 ppb, parts per billion of methane in the atmosphere. Uh, and we know since then, over the last 200 years or so, uh, the amount of methane has increased to 1,900 ppb, roughly. So that's more than doubling, closer to tripling. Um, so uh, the trend is very much upward, uh, and it's the, the one of the greenhouse gases that is increased by the, the biggest proportion. Um, and so why has that happened? So it's the increase is to do with those emissions from uh, human activities. So Helena has listed through some of them from the energy sector, from agriculture, from waste. Uh, and overall, kind of on a global big picture, it's pretty clear that the emissions from all those different sectors have trended upwards over the recent decades. Um, and so we need to tackle emissions in all those different sectors. Um, maybe one extra thing to say is that there's still lots of details about methane emissions we don't really understand. Uh, there's a, a range of different sources, both human-caused and natural. Um, and in fact, just in the last couple of years, scientists measuring methane in the atmosphere have, have noticed uh, unusually big annual increments in methane. So the amount of methane increases has been very big in the last few years. And scientists have been trying to understand, is that because of something that humans are doing? Uh, or one of the other things that's been investigated, is it some kind of effect of climate change on the natural sources? Right. Uh, and so, for example, it could be that climate change causes greater emissions from wetlands in the tropics. This is one of the, the things that's been investigated. Okay. All right. So again, uh, an area that uh, requires a lot more research, right, to be to be uh, conducted. And uh, Helena, I just want to go back to something that we were talking about also, um, leakages, right? So how do leakages from fossil fuel infrastructure, so oil and gas wells, for example, how do those contribute to methane emissions? And what are the possible uh, or the potential consequences of such leakages? So for the oil and gas sector, uh, you know, the their product itself contains methane. So for example, liquid natural gas, this is mainly uh, methane. Um, and so this uh, the process of extraction and processing, you know, we have all of these really long pipelines and all that. And this is where a lot of the leakages can occur along these pipelines. So there are basically three main uh, ways that uh, the leakages can occur. The first is what they call fugitive emissions. Uh, so this is sometimes usually unintentional uh, emissions um, from the existing infrastructure. Uh, but it's also intentional uh, leakages as well. So for example, uh, venting uh, has been done. Uh, routine venting is often done. Um, and flaring as well, so which is basically burning of, of, of these uh, gases, usually for safety reasons. So these are the three ways, um, fugitive emissions, venting, and uh, flaring. And these emissions, are, of course, do not only consist of methane, there are a lot of other emissions released at the same time. And I've mentioned how this can be dangerous to health. And in the case of oil and gas infrastructure, this will pose, uh, you know, this will be dangerous for uh, the oil and gas workers and the communities that are around the area. For Malaysia, we have a lot of offshore oil and gas, so maybe not so much exposure to communities, but we do also have some onshore facilities as well. Um, there are also some safety risks involved. Uh, so, for example, for flaring, there has been, uh, you know, there have been incidences of death in uh, deaths, uh, fatalities, uh, because of, uh, you know, the occupational hazard because of these accidents occurring. 
And it's also wasteful from the perspective of operations and also energy efficiency. So these practices basically let the fuel escape into the atmosphere rather than being used and being used in an efficient manner. Mm. So these are some of the things that we can uh, try to understand more about the oil and gas infrastructure. Okay, all right. And we're going to talk about that uh, in a little bit. Um, but Matt, just one more thing, you know, when I was also again doing my research, uh, I came across this concept called global warming potential, right? GWP. Uh, could you help explain that to us and its application in assessing the environmental impact of different greenhouse, gas, uh, greenhouse gases, but of course with a focus on methane? Yes, of course. Uh, so earlier I mentioned that uh, per molecule, methane is more potent than, than CO2 in, as a warming agent. Right. Uh, and so this, this global warming potential is a metric to try and quantify um, how much more potent a gas is than CO2. Uh, so it's a, a metric that was de developed quite a while ago now uh, in the scientific community. Uh, it's not something we can measure. It's something scientists have to calculate. Um, and so there's not necessarily one true number. It, the, the number you, you see will vary a bit depending on the calculation method. Mm -hmm. uh, but the basic idea is to say, for a particular greenhouse gas, how potent is it relative to CO2? Mm. CO2 is the, the reference point, the benchmark. By definition, it has a global warming potential of one. Um, and there are two uh, kind of main uh, subcategories of the global warming potential metric. One is a 100 year and the second is a 20 year time horizon. Um, and so I'll just say for methane, uh, if we use the 100 year global warming potential, uh, methane's global warming potential is about 25 or 30. And so what that means is if we have a, a ton of methane emitted into the atmosphere, uh, and compare it to the effect of a ton of CO2 um, over a 100-year period, that ton of methane will give us 25 to 30 times more warming than the ton of CO2 did. Um, okay. If we instead take a 20-year time horizon, then the global warming potential for methane is about 85. So mm -hmm. it's a much bigger number. And again, that reflects the fact that uh, methane has a shorter lifetime than CO2. So it's highly potent over a shorter timescale. If we consider a longer timescale, then the potency effect kind of gradually dilutes. Um, and so one of the really important applications of a metric like the global warming potential is actually in reporting of greenhouse gas emissions. So if a country reports its greenhouse gas emissions or if a company reports its greenhouse gas emissions, what it would like to do really is give a single number. My total greenhouse gas emissions are X. And, and so the global warming potential gives a tool to kind of aggregate emissions of all these different greenhouse gases into a single number. Um, mm. And so the convention to do this is usually using the 100 year global warming potential. And so for methane, that's the, the lower number. Um, and so this this kind of um, the way this is used flows into things like if we ask the question how much of Malaysia's greenhouse gas emissions are from methane mm. if we look at what's submitted to the UN uh, it's 15 percent and that's again using the the 100 year global warming potential which is the, the standard thing to do if so we, we tried this if we recalculate what would be the contribution of methane if we used a different time scale, the 20-year global warming potential, it would be more than 30% uh, of a contribution from methane. And so it's not like either one is right or wrong, but it's a choice. And the very common convention is to choose the longer time scale 
for the global warming potential. Um, and so one of the arguments that, that many people are now making is that if we only look at the, the numbers from the 100-year global warming potential, then we might actually be paying less attention to methane than we should do, because in reality, we do care about the warming we're going to get in the next 10, 20, 30 years. That's really important. Uh, so, yeah, that's one of the really important applications of this this GWP, global warming potential. Okay, no, very important. And this one, okay, my next question is a little bit of a curiosity that I need uh, some answering to. Because, again, my husband also is like, oh, you're speaking to the scientists? Please ask them this. <laughs> this is the role of permafrost uh, thawing. Um, what is the role of permafrost thawing? Because I think we've seen many um, kind of alarming uh, headlines, right? Uh, so, yeah, what is the role of permafrost thawing? Uh, what does that play in methane emissions? You know, how does it actually contribute to the feedback loop in climate change? Uh, yeah, he would, both of us were just very curious about this. Yeah, very good. Um, so this is a bit far away from Malaysia now, but yeah. permafrost, uh, this is effectively permanently frozen soil. Uh, and there's quite a lot of this in the, I guess, the, the further away parts of the Northern Hemisphere going into the Arctic Circle. Uh, and so one of the, the concerns is if this, uh, with global warming, some of this soil that has been frozen for a long time, it may start to thaw out as it warms. Yeah. Uh, and when that soil is no longer frozen, then the, it's kind of more exposed to the environment, to the air, um, and organic matter can decompose, and methane and also CO2 can start to, to leak out into the atmosphere. And so, yeah, you, you mentioned this word feedback. Uh, this would potentially be a feedback if we through warming, we get some extra greenhouse gas released, we get some more warming, and so on. So in a feedback loop. Uh, and so is that important? It's kind of an active area of research. It's another one of these. So certainly there are many scientists who are going into the Arctic and trying to monitor what's happening in these, these frozen and semi-frozen areas in the soil, also in some of the wetlands in these areas, which are thawing. Um, to my knowledge, there's not evidence yet for a big significant impact on global methane concentrations. Okay. Uh, like I said earlier, there's probably a bit more evidence around a feedback to do with tropical wetlands rather than those, those um, soils in the Arctic. Um, but of course, that doesn't mean that this is not an issue at all. Uh, as we get more and more warming, we should expect more and more thawing. And so I think that the kind of ongoing research to, to look at this area is, is very important. Thank you for satisfying that uh, curiosity for both me and my husband. Um, but okay, no, but moving on uh, to more important things. Um, Helena, maybe you can help discuss the international efforts and agreements aimed at addressing methane emissions. You know, and how these sorts of initiatives fit into that broader framework of uh, global climate action. Okay, so for methane, the the sort of big thing now is the global methane pledge, and that is sort of the where we kickstarted our project. Mm. Um, this global methane pledge is an international pledge uh, which was launched at the UNFCCC uh, back in twenty twenty one. So it's really quite recent uh, in Glasgow, and its headline target, the big target for this uh, pledge, is for uh, for the world to sort of work together to reduce global anthropogenic methane emissions by at least thirty percent by twenty thirty. Uh, relative to 2020 levels. Uh, this pledge, of course, is voluntary and it's not binding, but uh, when countries do uh, sign the pledge, uh, what they are doing is they are actually committing to take comprehensive domestic actions to achieve uh, this target uh, collectively. And they have also identified that, you know, it should be 
work in all of these three sectors that we mentioned, agriculture, energy, and waste. So uh, as Matt has been explaining to us, since methane is really potent, um, but it's short-lived, uh, this pledge is trying to really catch this opportunity where methane reduction can play a really important role right now in slowing down the climate clock for us in the short term so that we then have some time, some valuable time for us to keep tackling the longer term problem of carbon dioxide. Okay, all right. And um, I think we're just going to go for one more quick break. When I come back, I do want to uh, get to the, the findings and the study uh, that you guys uh, conducted uh, with Chira and all the universities. Uh, so let's get to that after this. I'm speaking today to Dr. Heli Navaki, Associate Professor of Environmental Politics and Governance at the University of Malaya, Dr. Matthew Ashfold, an atmospheric scientist and an Associate Professor from the University of Nottingham, Malaysia. Uh, they are both part of a project uh, which civil society organisation Chira uh, uh, kick-started and formed a partner with the universities, the University of Malaya and the University of Nottingham, Malaysia, together with the Environmental Defence Fund. And that was aimed at promoting transparency, public engagement and progress on methane emissions reduction in Malaysia. So we're going to get to those findings after this quick break. Keep it here on Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. On the line with me today, Dr. Matthew Ashfold, an atmospheric scientist and an associate professor from the University of Nottingham, Malaysia. Dr. Helena Vaki, an associate professor of environmental politics and governance at the University of Malaya. Uh, they are also part of CHIRA, a civil society organisation, which formed a partnership with both their universities and the Environmental Defence Fund. And that was aimed at promoting transparency, public engagement and progress on methane emission reductions in Malaysia. So the project uh, kickstarted in 2022. It just recently concluded. And uh, so they've got some findings, they've got some policy recommendations, and that's something that we're going to be talking about. So, um, you know, Helena, just now before the break, we were talking uh, about the Global Methane Pledge. Um, and, and we know that we've signed up to that, right? So that was back in November, as you mentioned, around with, uh, what was it, 100 other countries, right? I think you mentioned. What sort of progress have we seen from Malaysia in that area since then? So Malaysia uh, signed the pledge quite early on in 2021, quite soon after it was announced. Um, and since then, based on our research, uh, our sort of preliminary uh, lie of the land, uh, what we have gathered is uh, the government, uh, Malaysian government, uh, have in fact already you know, acknowledged that methane is uh, important. It's an important consideration for climate change mitigation for Malaysia. Uh, as, as you have heard, our key sectors are involved, oil and gas as well as palm oil. Uh, but we, we have found that the operationalization of methane abatement, uh, you know, be it as part of Malaysia's national climate commitments or as part of these specific sectors, still at very early stages. So uh, it's more of acknowledgement and we still have to get to that stage of operationalization. Okay. Um, on the corporate side, um, we have these big players in oil and gas and oil palm. And our 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 companies here, we've uh, they've already committed to net zero pathways, which, which is great. And the fact that methane is such a big part of their emissions means that if they want to meet these net zero pathways, they want to meet these targets, methane is definitely going to have to be a big part of their strategy. Um, and so because of this, uh, you know, we see our major players committing to certain global initiatives like the methane guiding principles, uh, the oil and gas methane partnership, and also the science-based targets initiatives. So these are all going on alongside the global methane pledge, and we see our corporates already on board. But uh, as we will, we will talk about later, there are still 
quite a lot of uncertainties still in our emissions data and reporting, which is where we, we are trying to sort of promote here. Okay, all right. So let's go back then to that research project, you know, that we uh, you br- uh, briefly mentioned earlier, right? So um, again, you know, that was to assess the status of and the prospect for action on methane emissions in Malaysia. Can you walk me through, you know, your methodology, how this research was conducted? Yeah, okay. So what we decided was we wanted to understand this problem from the various stakeholders. So we looked at governments, corporations, as well as the general public. So first of all, we did a literature review of all the publicly available information and data uh, on methane. Yeah, And we've actually produced a, a, a report under ICS Publications Singapore on this, and it's freely available online, actually, so anyone can just look it up, and uh, we hope that it will be useful uh, in this sense. Uh, we also did a public survey, uh, and it was a representative survey all across Malaysia, which gave us sort of the understanding of how uh, Malaysians thought about methane. Do, do they think about methane? What is their knowledge, attitudes, and behavior towards methane and methane reduction in the context of climate change. Um, and then we kind of uh, pulled everything together with a series of focus group discussions. Uh, we got representatives from all three of the groups that I mentioned earlier, and we workshop and fine-tune recommendations uh, for Malaysia moving forward. Um, and that is where we come, where we are here today with our policy brief and recommendations. Okay, all right. And that was, again, you know, just recently uh, launched. Matt, um, you want to walk me through some of the main findings? I will try. Yes, <laughs> let me try and do it um, in relation to these different aspects of the, the methodology that, that Helena's mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, one of the, I think, the, the big areas we've looked at, especially in the, the review of literature and the re- review of existing data sets, is around the, the uncertainty in quantifying uh, methane emissions from Malaysia. And, and you know, the same applies to other countries and, uh, as well. Um, and so quantification of, me- of the emissions is really important. It, we need it to, to be able to demonstrate progress. We need it to be able to um, manage emissions and, and check that what we plan to do and the, the actions we implement are really working. Um, and so even in the, the text of this thing, this global methane pledge, the text of the pledge highlights the importance of quality emissions data. So mm-hmm. it's something that the signatories are, are committed to improving. It's part of the pledge. Um, and so there are various kind of, I guess, um, sub-findings that relate to emissions data uncertainty. Um, one of the areas would be around the way that the government and, and other private sector actors are um, quantifying and reporting their emissions. So what are the method- methodological details? Um, how are they doing things? Sometimes it's not fully disclosed and completely clear um, how things are being done. And so this is kind of a transparency issue. Um, if we want to compare different data sets, different estimates of the same thing, and we find that they're different, it's hard to understand why they might be different. Or if we're interested in the, the different contributions to an overall emission from the country, it's hard to try and add them all up and check that they are kind of coming to the, the sensible answer. So there's, there's an issue there around the available information to understand the reported uh, emissions. Um, Another one, Helena's mentioned that you know, the um, some of the bigger players in the key emitting sectors have already been, we think, pretty active in trying to tackle methane emissions. Um, and it, we think it's possible, looking at what's reported in terms of emission data, that, that Malaysia's methane emissions may have actually already peaked, and we may be on a path to declining. It's possible. Um, 
but it's still very uncertain. Um, if we could be better at quantifying uh, the emissions, then we'd be more confident in trying to say something about what hopefully is good news. Uh, and then a third uh, point to make about the uh, emissions data. So at the moment, the methodology, methodologies are based on kind of desktop calculations. So mm -hmm. one simple example would be if we're interested in emissions from uh, the livestock sector, uh, we count up how many cows there are and we assume that each cow emits a certain amount and we do a sum in a, in a spreadsheet and that gives us the total emission. Um, that's one approach and it's a very common approach. Um, an extra way that's also really useful as a comparison is to actually measure methane in the atmosphere and to try and understand from that where the emissions are and how big are the emissions. Okay. And really the ideal situation is to combine both of these approaches, the desktop approach and the measurement approach. Um, around the world where both of these approaches are done in parallel, we often see that they come to rather different outcomes. And so that's really useful to try and understand what the true emission is. If we have these multiple estimates, it allows us to try and triangulate and focus attention on where the biggest uncertainties seem to be. So, so far, this, this other approach to methodology, to, um, to measurement-based quantification of emissions has not really been deployed much in Malaysia, but we see a big um, opportunity to try and do more of that here. That would help a lot. Uh, so that was all things to do with uh, our findings related to data mm. and uncertainty in emissions. Maybe I'll just mention a couple of other findings. Um, from the survey of the public that Helena mentioned, I think we weren't surprised by this finding, but we found that in general, awareness is, is kind of much less for methane and for global methane pledge and what are the key emitting sectors than it is for awareness on climate change as an overall issue. Um, and so you know, hopefully doing uh, recordings like this helps to some extent, um, but that, that was a finding that we think is important. It's, it's useful to know kind of where the public currently are on this issue. Um, and then maybe the final thing I mentioned, this more emerged, I think, by the end of the project, after we'd also done the focus group discussions and talked to different stakeholders. Um, we feel it's really important. Um, well, maybe I'll rephrase that. We, we understood that it, it would be important for the different stakeholders to see a clear and precisely defined government direction on the role of methane, specifically within Malaysia's climate commitments. Um, that could really help to motivate, maybe even incentivize action across these different important emitting sectors. Um, and from our review work, we also know that comparable countries um, do have these kinds of very clear government directions now. So one example I can mention is Vietnam uh, published a methane action plan. There are clear targets for reductions in, by 2025, by 2030, uh, reach of the important sectors. There is also kind of uh, supporting information in that plan about how that will be achieved through regulation, through capacity building, and so on. And so this was another finding. This would be a really important thing for, for progress in, in Malaysia. Okay. And and of course, based on your findings, I'm sure there are many recommendations, right? Uh, Helena, what would your recommendations to the Malaysian government be uh, to fulfil their commitments to the Global Methane Pledge? Okay, so we uh, basically identified uh, three recommendations, three big ones, one for each sector that we are looking at. So for the government, what we wanted to uh, communicate is really important to clearly articulate the national direction for methane action. But what we uh, think is a bit um, a more granular kind of, of uh, recommendation is that based with our discussions with the stakeholders, um, what we sense from them is that perhaps a specific methane policy may not be needed. Uh, 
like some countries which have done it, like Vietnam, as Matt mentioned. But maybe in Malaysia, there's a bit of policy lethargy. There's too many policies going around. And um, a lot of what we've heard is that uh, what is really important is for methane governance to be streamlined within the existing national climate framework. Mm. Uh, so it's probably a good time to do so since we do have the national policy of climate change being reviewed right now, the Climate Change Act being developed. So it's a good time for us to um, be able to insert and to align uh, it more towards methane. The second recommendation is towards uh, corporations, and this was mainly like what Matt was talking about, to improve quantification and transparency of methane emissions. And particularly, we think this is really important, uh, not only to demonstrate corporate progress, because they've committed to a lot of things, so it's important to be able to demonstrate this as well, but also to be able to support government commitments. So corporates should also be able to feed in to what the government is committed to and reporting at the international level. Um, and finally, for the uh, civil societies, uh, we think that it's important for the civil societies, or there's an opportunity here to highlight uh, the strong co-benefits between uh, air quality, health, and um, action on methane. So what we have observed is that the usually the current policy and governance processes will usually treat climate and air quality as separate issues. They don't really talk to each other. But as we have heard today, as we have tried to go into, um, they're actually linked. They're not, they're not uh, separate from each other. So this risks missing opportunities to advance, uh, you know, a more coordinated plan uh, overall for health, for the environment, for planetary health, as we like to call it. Uh, so this air quality angle can be an additional angle to really engage the public into the conversation as well. If methane is somehow too abstract or too scientific for the public to really grasp or engage with, air quality may be something more accessible. So this is probably a good way in. Okay, all right. So some great recommendations there. And, you know, now that the, the study is out, and of course, you know, you said it's available, readily available uh, for anybody, right? And for free as well. Am I correct? For Yes. Okay, and where, where again would that website be for, for us to access that? So this is uh, published under the ISIS Singapore publisher website. Okay. So the online version is free, the PDF, but if you want a hard copy, then there's some there's a cost. Lah. Our policy brief, we will also make it available on our website as well. Uh, yeah. Okay, all right. So that and, and who would you recommend? I mean, this basically for everybody, isn't it? Corporations, the government, uh, CSOs, just, you know, folks like me, anybody, right? Yes, and we hope that, you know, uh, our report under ISIS may be a bit more scientific, but our policy brief, we hope we have written it uh, with a more accessible, uh, uh, well, to try and access uh, more uh, communities in mind to the public. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, you know, for breaking that down. That was, you know, it was very, very helpful. I think, like you said, there's not, maybe there's a bit of apathy or just a lack of knowledge about, you know, methane uh, and methane emissions. Uh, I think the, the focus is always on uh, carbon, isn't it? Carbon dioxide, isn't it? So, okay. So we're going to do our little part here. Um, but before I let the both of you go, um, any concluding messages perhaps that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Yeah, so uh, for me, I would like to just again uh, call to attention that, you know, our our main meeting and meeting sectors in Malaysia also nicely maps onto our really big industries, oil and gas and palm oil. And these are really economically crucial to Malaysia, especially as we move forward uh, in a more climate aware uh, world. So actually, we can, there's an opportunity here where we can actually see action to reduce methane in these sectors um, can be really important in the long term sustainability of these sectors. If these sectors can be more um, environmentally friendly, uh, can reduce uh, its, its contribution to the climate through methane, 
um, this could actually be better for it in the long term. Um, and uh, so it presents this really valuable opportunity right now for us to climate uh, to contribute not only to global um, climate mitigation, but at the same time, our country's long term uh, interests. Mm-hmm. And you're heading to COP28 soon, aren't you, Helena? So, and this is something that you'll be uh, talking about as well. Yes, yes. So I will be talking at one of the side events on this as well. Okay, all right. We'll catch up with you uh, when you're back, of course, to find out about that. Uh, but Matt, you know, any, any concluding message you'd like to leave us with? Well, yeah, I, obviously I agree with what, what Helena's just said. Maybe I'll just go back to one of the, the points you, you basically made at the start, Julia. If, if our goal is to tackle climate change, and for that we need to reduce greenhouse gas emissions quickly, um, then again, just to emphasize that the action on methane is, is really one of the most readily achievable and quickly impactful options we have. So, of course, we need to address CO2 as well. But going hard at methane is, is really going to help us a lot. Um, but it does need some, some extra focused attention to realize all the benefits that, that are there for the taking. Um, and so we hope that the recommendations we've developed will be helpful along that pathway. Okay. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for joining me today. And of course, you know, for more information, we can also go to the Chira website, right? Uh, there's, I think all the information is there. So uh, that website is just chira-my.org if you'd like to find out more. My thanks again to both of my guests. I was speaking to Dr. Helena Vaki, an Associate Professor of Environmental Politics and Governance at the University of Malaya, and Dr. Matthew Ashfold, an Atmospheric Scientist and an Associate Professor from the University of Nottingham, Malaysia, both also working with Chira and working on the Methane Project if you miss any part of our conversation today, you can always search for the podcast at bfm.my earth. You can also find it on the BFM app. This has been Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.